Ladies and gentlemen, warning, spoilers ahead. Sneeze on the bastards as they go past. Did you invite them? No. Ask Beria if he invited the bishops. Don't give me orders. Ask Beria if he invited the bishops. Did you invite the bishops? Yes. Yes. Well? He said yes. I'm going to give everyone in Red Square a voucher permitting one kick each to his stupid face. Is he asking for some delicious hay? No, he said something quite complicated about a voucher system. Good evening and welcome to television. I'm Philip Hunting. And I'm Wayne Stellini. Welcome to Fred Watch, where we view and review films, everything from the mainstream to the obscure. Hey, Philip, what have you been watching since our last podcast? Well, I went to see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yay! Yay. So that's the Quentin Tarantino movie, new one. I went to see it with Kirsten and her folks. Right. Nice family outings. Nice family outings. (laughs) And let me just say, it was a much nicer experience than the last time I saw a Quentin Tarantino film. (laughs) For those who aren't in the know, back when Inglorious Bastards came out, Mm -hmm. I went to see it with my housemate at the time, Michael Lister. And I did not know who Quentin Tarantino was. Bad cinephile. Bad cinephile. Naughty cinephile. <laughs> My problem's always been, I don't know names. I don't know the names of people. Therefore, when someone says, oh, it's a Quentin Tarantino film, I'm like, who? Bad film critic. Bad film. But if you turn around and said, oh, uh, uh, oh, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, thank you. Pulp Fiction, bad with names. You are. Uh, pulp, pulp Fiction, <laughs> now in Glorious Bastards. You know, you tell me the names, I'll go, oh, them. <laughs> the other problem was I'd only ever seen Pulp Fiction from Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Therefore, I went in to see Glorious Bastards, came out furious. <laughs> you can't change history like that. That's not how it happened. Rah, 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 rah. Michael Lister is laughing his head off. He, it's the funniest thing he's ever seen. Because you're inadvertently making a fool of yourself, aren't exactly, you, Philip? Exactly. Yeah. Most certainly. And he's like, it's Quentin Tarantino. I don't care who he is. <laughs> you can't do this to history. <laughs> I then get schooled on who Quentin Tarantino is. And now I'm a huge fan and love his work yeah. and love what he does. Well, <laughs> Philip, he is one of my all-time favourite filmmakers. Just the way he uses pop culture, he mm. uses genres of films, he mixes them, he does this pastiche work with his storytelling. I absolutely love. And I'm like you, I recently also saw Once Upon a Time ah, in Hollywood. Nice. And I was a little bit hesitant going into it. Mm-hmm. It was mixed emotions because love Tarantino. I also love Sharon Tate, who is a central figure in this film. And I'm quite sensitive to the way her life and untimely end is portrayed in film. Mm. I've been scathing of films that have represented it because they tend to be a bit more of the exploitative side. Yeah. And when you get Tarantino, it is all about this, you know, cartoonish and, and hyper representation of everything. But I felt relaxed going into it because Sharon's sister... Uh, who's still alive, gave the film its blessing. So I'm yeah. like, well, she's seen it all. Yeah. So I was like, okay, if Deborah Tate approves, I'm just going to go in and 
see what's going to unfold before me. I was not disappointed. Yeah. I felt like Tarantino was replicating a lot that he did with Inglorious Bastards in terms of using a historical event and mixing fictitious characters with it. Yeah. I don't think it reached the level, but it came pretty close. Like, if I had to do the two side by side, I think Inglorious Bastards is a superior film overall. Yeah, you see, Kirsten was actually telling me that Roman Polanski and Quentin Tarantino are really good mates. So, I actually feel that this is potentially... Tarantino doing a bit of a how it should have happened. Uh, look, you know, I think any you know loss of life is unfortunate, mm. but I would be lying if I said I wasn't overjoyed at the yeah. way it was presented, yeah. and uh, rightly so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, yeah, such a such a great film. It's gotten mixed responses from people, and mm. uh, and everyone keeps talking about how long it is. But just Tarantino is such a skillful filmmaker. Yeah, that's it. And again, you know what you're getting with Tarantino. You mm. know you're getting long stretches of dialogue. You know yep. you're getting all of these different conventions for a Tarantino mm. film. Mm. Tarantino once, I believe, said he always found things that were left on the cutting room floor more interesting. interesting yeah. So he puts them in his movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and yeah. I could, I could see those arguments in terms of, yeah, there were plenty of scenes that sort of you go, if it was anyone other than Tarantino, mm. you'd go, yeah, that needs to be cut. Yeah. Why have we got this long shot of someone walking down the street? What's that yeah. got to do? But because it is him, and especially the way he frames it, yes. to me it is less about... Yes, the storytelling is there. I'm not saying the storytelling is there. But those scenes are less about the storytelling and more about the art of filmmaking. Of filmmaking. Yeah. And so that's, again, as you say, it's Tarantino. Yeah. This is what... This is his style. And this is his style. As a fan you, of Tarantino, not- this is what I want to see. Mm. Uh, he's more than welcome to surprise me because, let's face it, when he did do Inglorious Bastards, even Kill Bill... Mm. One and two before that, he was sort of toning it a little bit. It wasn't, yeah. you know, he was still challenging himself and presenting new things yeah. to his audiences. But he just does it so skillfully that I it. accept what he puts on screen. That's it. Mm. Like, I think, to, to close that off, I think if he did a, you know, a, a Marvel movie, mm. his film style, whilst I think that would look amazing, do not get me wrong, <laughs> yeah. but his film style, storytelling style would not fit what is needed for that sort of action-packed... Yeah. Uh, at least the, the the tropes that we now know for a Marvel movie. No, I mean, he would have to make his own superhero movie because That's it would stand it. on its own. That's it. Yeah. That's and, it. you you know, Tarantino, I don't think, is one to join a franchise, really. Certainly there, not. There was a rumour a few years ago that he would be writing and directing a Friday the 13th movie. Mm. And as someone who absolutely loves that franchise, all for it. Mm. So that particular franchise was used to give up-and-coming directors experience, exposure, all of these things. So a lot of the Jason movies tend to be a bit different to each other. Continuity is not a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put that out the door because it's a it's about these new expressions. So I was more than happy for Tarantino yeah. to take that on board. The body count alone would keep fans <laughs> happy. The creative kills, all of those things. Yeah. Uh, but unfortunately, he was quick to say, "Look, that's not, not a thing." So that was a little disappointing. <laughs> However, something that wasn't disappointing, Philip, and we're still talking about historical representations. What are we reviewing today? Today we are reviewing the 2017 dark comedy. The Death of Stalin. Tell us about it, Janet. 
The Death of Stalin, directed by Amano Yanucci, is a 2017 film that tells the story of the fallout after the death of Stalin, Adrian McLaughlin. It follows the Communist Committee's scramble to fill the political vacuum after Stalin's death. It takes a dark comedic approach, juxtaposing the terror of Stalin's Russia with the absurdity of the political bureaucratic background. Wayne, what did you think? I, I'm very excited for your thoughts on this. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is where I roll up my sleeve yeah, and tell yeah. you what a horrible movie <laughs> horrible, it is. Horrible, horrible. horrible. <laughs> what an interesting film to present, Philip. I think anytime we've got a work of fiction representing something factual, that's always quite interesting. Mm. When you throw comedy and maybe elements of parody in there as well, <laughs> that just sort of uh, complicates matters, maybe, yeah. <laughs> or adds it a di- you know you have to look at it through a different lens, yes. don't you? Because you go, okay, I'm going to watch a comedy about the death of a very notorious dictator and one of the most important figures in world history ever. So there's a lot of weight on this. Mm. There's a lot to play with. What the film does quite successfully is it condenses a lot of information. In less than two hours. Mm. That's a difficult thing to do. Oh, yeah. What's even more difficult to do is to do it in an engaging way Mm. and in an interesting way. So, I found myself always interested in this film. A lot of the humour, as you've said, is Mm. dark. And for that, there isn't a lot of, I suppose, laugh out loud moments. Mm. Mm. But I tend to find clever comedies where they're more sharply written and there's a bit more nuanced more appealing than sort of the more slapstick heavy ones. I mean, they both serve their purposes. There's some elements of slapstick here as well, but it's not huge. It's more of a well-written and cleverly written Mm. film. It's quite dialogue-driven, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very heavily dialogue-driven. So with all the flashes of violence and aggression that is reflective of the period that it is set in Mm. the 1950s in the Soviet Union, it represents that quite accurately, I feel. But if you're here wanting something a bit more B-grade exploitative, oh, yeah, I'm going to yeah, see yeah. all of these different torture methods and things like that, this isn't the movie no, for you. It really is about a political moment, mm. a moment of transition, of confusion. And I do wonder, however, if pre-knowledge is a prerequisite in getting the most out of this film. Mm. So you and I have both studied European history. Mm-hmm. We were uni buddies together uh, studying European history and Mm. this part of European history was a major focus. So we came into this film knowing quite a bit about Stalin, his circumstances and rise to power. Not that this is the focus of it at all, but we already knew about events that happened before this film is set and even knew the circumstances of his death, the complications, the (laughs) self-imposed complications. Mm, mm. All of these things. We, we knew some of the more um, nuances, I suppose. And I'm not saying that this film didn't teach us anything. Well, at least for me, it actually taught me a few things. Yeah, yeah. Which was interesting and refreshed my memory on a few things. But I wonder how s- someone watching this who had zero yeah. knowledge of Stalin's demise would take this movie. And... I don't necessarily know if that's a narrative flaw. Mm. I mean, it provides a lot of information tidbits yeah. throughout, which is important. I think that structures the film well. So, But overall, I did enjoy this film. Yeah. But I do wonder in a more broader context, 
is this a sort of film that has a broad appeal? Yeah, no, um, I hadn't actually thought of it like that because you're right. I myself never knew how Stalin had died. I knew about his background and I knew about his, Mm. you know, obviously rise to power and how Mm. he was and all that. But you're right, I had probably had more of an understanding than the average moviegoer. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And so, yeah, you're right. If you sort of say it that way, then it sort of begs the question, who is the target audience? Yeah. Because it's super niche. Because either, if you're someone who knows nothing about and sort of knows, oh, yeah, Stalin, World War II, and Communist Russia, Mm. then there's not enough information Mm. to follow this closely enough, I think. Mm. After saying that, if you're someone who knows about the death of Stalin, then it's just sort of a funny rendition of it. Yeah. It makes it a very niche audience. I question whether there is enough information. I I sort of feel that there there is. So my partner, she essentially is the sort of person I believe that knows a little bit about history, enough to get by yeah not enough to put up with my rants and rambling sometimes <laughs> but she enjoyed this film so okay. it actually would be interesting to ask her as someone that knew enough about i think you've got to know enough about the history in the sense of okay you need to know communism and you know you need to know stalin was a communist and yeah. he ruled russia and then everything else sort of falls into place, at least in the idea of, okay, you can pick up and follow along. Well, in saying that, Philip, that there rebuts my argument mm. and semi-critique quite perfectly mm. because very early on in the film, we understand that we're looking at a communist regime. Mm. We understand that Stalin is a dictator mm. because he's surrounded by yes-men. Yeah. He's surrounded by loyal slash loyal in inverted commas mm. people. People are fearful of him. Mm. So in terms of what we need to know before watching this film... If that's all we really need to know, mm. then it's established very early on. Yeah, that's So it. even if we don't know it, we're told. Yeah, that's it. I think the only issue you'd really have as an audience member is if you're not able to sort of pick things up as they go. Yeah. If you're like, your only knowledge is communism and Stalin's there and World War Two, mm. but then you're not able to follow the rest. Yeah. Just because your mind might not work that way. Then I could see that happening, but I do think there's enough in it mm. for most people to be able to go. Okay, I, I, I get, I get the general gist. Yeah, and you know, I, if you understand politics at all, then you'll be able to follow why these people are freaking out. And yeah, and I actually think it's in the manner that the film is written, as well as the way that it is performed. I mm. think that the writing is really good. Mm. And also the actors are quite strong. You get strong senses of these different characters, of their nerves. I think the way that even the movie opens with, you know, these guys working at a radio station, broadcasting this live concert, Mm. uh, just the phone call that one receives, the way the two are bouncing off each other. You can see their nervous, jittery energy and then what happens when they have to redo the concert all of mm. these things it gives you an idea about i suppose the psychological pressure that stalin's regime is putting on everyday folk 
really. Mm. Yeah. So, and everyday folk more in terms of the major cities, not so much in yeah. terms of the peasants. But, you know, we're looking at it through the lens of, you know, the capital and yeah. so forth. Yeah, that's it. So, I think these types of things are conveyed mm. pretty pretty well, I feel. I, I, yeah, I love the way that this film is, is acted. Yes, um, yes. Personally, uh, you know, there are some issues <laughs> in terms of when you've got the cast that you do have. Yeah. Um, and this is quite common in you know, Hollywood movies and, and, and this is a British film. Yeah. Uh, but even that you, you've got a mixture of accents and no one at least tries to speak in a Russian I accent. I want to counter that. Yes. Go for it. So the counter of that is yeah. that the director actually decided that he wanted to use British accents mm. because he knew how bad in the past, you know, people trying to put on Russian mm. accents has come across. Yes. So what he actually specifically did, and I think this is genius, mm. each British accent represents or is attributed to where each person would have come from in Russia. Right. In other words, for example, Stalin being played by Adrian McLaughlin mm-hmm. is using a very strong Cockney accent Mm -hmm. because he is from Georgia, Mm -hmm. which is the equivalent of that sort of Cockney area in Britain. It is that lower class, uh, undereducated area in Britain. That's correct. Everyone's accent represents the equivalent to them in Russia. Right. So, for example, if you're doing the Australian accent version, you'd have a sort of Queensland bogan <laughs> for a uh, 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 Stalin. Because, again, it's that lower... Yes. Steve, Steve Ishkemi, though, kept an American accent, however. That he did. That... I don't know American accents well enough to know whether it was connected there or not, but supposedly it is. Mm. That I don't... Again, I don't know the the people well enough. So maybe there is a connection there. I'm only going off sort of interviews from Amado Yanucci. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if that's his decision as a director, Mm. that is well and truly fine. There is the method Mm. to that execution. It jarred me though. Oh, Now we've spoken about this before. For example, when we reviewed All Quiet on the Western Front for our Anzac Day special, that was sort of a bit more of a neutral accent, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. And we talked about that was a good decision because trying to do German accents might come across as parody and so yeah. forth. I'm not sure if it was as successful in the death of Stalin. Once you accept it, you accept it. Yeah. You're fine. Yeah. I suppose one of the things that also maybe kept me a little bit at distance was that Adrian McLaughlin resembles Stalin enough. Yes. We know who he is. Yes. However, throughout the film, they use actual paintings of Stalin. Stalin. So then when you see the painting and portraits of Stalin, and we will pan down to see our actor as Stalin, they don't look similar at all. I I can see that. That threw me. I would have preferred... That the painting looked like the actor. Yep. More than anything else. It's like when they showed the photo of Stalin with the little girl. That wasn't a copy of the original photo. Mm. It was of the actor. Yeah. Now, I I appreciate that. I get that. I think for the accents, it plays also into the comedy aspect. Yeah. So, again, you don't expect 
someone to come up and do a Cockney accent for <laughs> Stalin, the leader of... <laughs> it definitely sets the tone for the film. It definitely sets the tone for the film. But I also feel that it helps to push the audience to understand who's sort of playing. End of the day, you, you ask a, a British, Australian, American... Mm about different Russian accents mm. and they'll just sit there and think of the last uh, video game they played or the last James Bond movie they watched Yes, because that's all we've got for Russian accents. Yeah. Any nuance you had with this mm. would be lost and then re-lost once the comedy elements started kicking in. So I actually think that using these these other accents, British or American allowed it to sort of be a shorthand and then a shorthand that's sort of hidden because, again, unless you've seen these interviews, unless you've seen yes. the behind the thing, you don't know that. I would never have picked it up if I hadn't dug deeper. No. But it's then that nice little Easter egg to sort of know that. This is true. I mean, I am always cautious about a film that makes me do homework. So I don't necessarily mind films. In fact, I love films mm. that make me want to look more deeply into yeah. them because they've inspired a curiosity. But I'm not so sure about films that make me research them so that I understand them. Was it jarring enough that if you never knew that point, mm. if I'd never said that point, would it have been that jarring that's sort of my question no so so, yeah so so, even knowing based on why the british accents were kept mm, and why they were nuanced mm, i like it yeah but it doesn't mean that i dislike or like the movie even more the use of accents throughout the film kept me at a distance for a brief moment yeah but because the film is so well written yeah so well performed I didn't care. No, that makes sense. That yeah. makes sense. Because I suppose I, I, my question there is that, is it really making you do homework? No. Because if you had never learnt that point, would it have been that bad to throw you off the movie or not? Yeah. Not being the case, then that comes back to an Easter egg as opposed to having to do homework. No, absolutely. Yeah. But, but I know what you're saying because yeah. there are plenty of movies that do that. Yeah. I mean, because I've seen, you know, we've seen enough historical movies movies based in history Mm. where the accents are that of the actors for example um you know valkyrie is one of them boy in the striped pajamas is another one Um, it takes you that moment for red october yeah it takes you that moment (laughs) where you just go oh okay yep there that's an accent i recognize however they are playing this nationality yep i get it yeah for some reason took me a bit more Time to get used to see, it. That's interesting. You see, Hunt for Red October for me is uh, the example I would pick for what you're talking about because mm-hmm. everyone else in that movie was essentially trying to do a Russian accent of some form. Then you have Sean Connery, just his thick Brit- uh, Scottish accent. And I'm Russian and nobody can say otherwise. <laughs> and you sit there and go, you're not even trying. And because everyone else is, mm. this is, I think, for me, the argument you're making. If everyone's doing a thing yeah then to me that is that i can accept almost straight away it's when everyone's doing a thing except one or every then it sticks out like a dog's hind leg yeah you know i think in terms of that example though philip is when you've got somebody like sean connery who's never needed really (laughs) to alter his accent Mm. 
we wouldn't accept him doing an alternative accent to his own. That's when you've got star power being bigger than the character and or the film. So that could be a flaw and that's problematic into itself. We've talked a lot about the accents. I don't really want to hone in on it too much. No, no, no. But for me, it's a really interesting point. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it didn't really impact my enjoyment of the film because there's so many strengths Mm. to it. But this is just something that we keep coming back to when we watch pieces based in history. That's it, yeah. Yeah. I don't think we would talk about it as much if it weren't for the fact that, as I said, the director specifically chose a thing, so all of a sudden it now becomes yes. a point unto itself. Yes. And as I, opposed to just, oh, they did access, whatever. Yeah. And look, admittedly, I appreciate, for example, why he gave mm. Stalin a Cockney accent. It actually quite annoyed me, though. Yeah. If I have nice. to say, now saying that, oh, they didn't bother me that much, but yeah. if I had to pick on one that really annoyed me, yeah. it was giving Stalin a Cockney accent. Because one of the things that then happens is you feel like you're losing the actual nationality of these characters almost. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. It felt more of a British story than a Russian one. Yeah. And I appreciate it's a British team. Yeah, no, no. It's based on a French comic book. It's muddled. Like, I get it. Yeah. But, yeah, it was a little sticking point that took me longer to get over. And that's just some of the reasons why. No, fair enough. What I'd also like to touch on is something else you said in your opening piece. Mm. Essentially, how this is a dark comedy talking about tragic events. Yes. Now, how did you find, how did you feel about that? Well, how did you find that? It's always fascinating when you implement comedy in something that is tragic. Mm. So one could argue the slow and painful death of a dictator who is responsible for the murder, torture and slaughter of millions of people in his own country Mm is not really something all that tragic in the grand scheme of things. Mm. However, there are a lot of references to tragic things, Mm. such as the rape, the torture, the murder Mm. of people. Mm -hmm. So what I think this film does successfully is because the main focus is to show the absurdity of the political bureaucracy. And it juxtaposes that with purges mm. and you know firing squads mm. and all of these things there's a there's a nice balance to it i suppose yeah. so while we're never laughing at more of the tragic elements of this film because we know these things happened in mm. real life mm. and for so many years for like decades yeah. and again it's reflected in how nervous people always are and how there's scrambling to you know meet certain deadlines or to Mm. get certain things or to be the one to be in power Mm. there's a reason for that and it links to how absurd these men in power were Mm. in terms of how paranoid they were they cause their own paranoia Mm. because they've put themselves so high up and now everybody wants to get us. Yeah. And to some degree, it was really them just wanting to get at each other. Yeah. It's like, who can I outdo the most? Who's going to take over? So it's almost like the humor in itself doesn't come from any of the tragedy. It never tries to make it that lighthearted. There's Mm. a few gags here, but we're not laughing at the event. We're laughing at the absurdity of it and of these men who are signing off on these hit lists and so forth. Yeah. 
Philip, what was your thought about it? No, definitely, I agree. I mean, one of the big things within writing is that uh, comedy is just tragedy plus time. Yeah. And, I mean, this is why people are back and forth about can you pick on so-and-so, can you make light of so-and-so. Mm. And this, to me, sort of shows that if done right, you actually can make light or make comedy of just about anything. Absolutely. It all depends on how it's done. Even there's one scene where the the bureaucrats have uh, signed off on saying, let's pause all the killings. Yeah. And there's this, they cut to a gulag and this guy's shooting all these prisoners. Mm. And one of the prisoners sort of protests and say, you know, oh, but I, I love Stalin. And he goes, Stalin's dead. Uh, someone else is in charge. You then hear, stop shooting, stop shooting, bang. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The camera cuts at the bang and then cuts back to seeing blood on the wall. Yeah. Now, again, you're right. It's not a laugh out loud hilarious, but Mm. it's just the absurdity of this this, this world that people live in. And then you're left with... The prisoners being told they're free to go. Yeah. And they all just looking at this line of mm. people that missed out by literal seconds. Yeah. If not, shouldn't have been killed that last guy. No, absolutely. So just the the stupidity of the whole thing absolutely. is brought to the forefront. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I mean, if we want to talk about films that do comedy and intense tragedy... So, well, we go back to Chaplin's The Great Dictator. Yep. We look at Roberto Benigni's Life is Beautiful. Mm -hmm. So, you're right. You can make a comedy Mm. about just about anything because it's a fine line between comedy and tragedy. Mm. And I think that's why comedians such as Chaplin Mm. are so brilliant and are so renowned and are still studied and revered today Mm. is because every single one of his comedies, these classics that are ingrained in popular culture are extraordinarily tragic yes. at the same time. It. It's a difficult thing to get right. Yeah. Even like if we're talk- going back to what we're talking about at the start of all this, Quentin Tarantino yeah. with Inglorious Bastards. Yeah. They, I won't say glorified, but they definitely mm. revel in that sort of death of people who no one would feel sympathy or sorry for. No. So, and it's definitely... It definitely is that fine line, but it's also, I think, depends on who it is. The fine line in this film, to me, is the poor people who are caught up, or the civilians who are caught up, the poor doctors who yeah. just don't want to be there, who are slaughtered at the end. Yeah, they know they of, can't win. They know they can't win. When they're asked about, like, how's he doing, they're all passing the clipboard. The, that's it. Because it's, shoot, the messenger time. That's it. Yeah. Whereas you cut to Stalin's actual death, and... For all intents and purposes, that's a funny scene. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That is hilarious. We're given a pass to laugh at him because he's the monster that... Absolutely. And the fact is that there is nothing graceful or dignified Mm. about the way his death is portrayed. So, for example, he receives a note that essentially says, (laughs) hope you die, (laughs) you know, type thing. He dies or he gets his stroke. Yep. He then starts to relieve himself and then by morning, because everyone's been terrified to to go go in in without him allowing them in, that puddle of urine is huge. There's so many Mm. discussions and references about not wanting to sit, you know, to kneel on it, to touch it, 
or whatever. And then they're, you know, carrying him through. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the guys is using his feet as a way to say, no, move left, move right, which I thought was fucking (laughs) hilarious. And putting him on the bed, rolling him on, all of these different things. If the man was truly respected, Mm. bodily fluids would not be an issue. We don't care. Because you're still seeing a person. Yeah. And in this case, he's still alive, right? Mm. But even had he passed at that stage, you're still seeing a representation Mm. of this great man. Mm. But what's revealed is fear Mm -hmm. and in some cases contempt of him. And I like how that's portrayed with the reaction to him having had, you know, this massive health crisis Mm. that may have been remedied. We don't know, Mm. but may have been remedied. Had he not sent all the brilliant doctors to the gulag? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Just the irony of the whole thing. And and this is what I think also makes... This is when they talk about... You hear the thing, you know, history is greater than any... You know, there are so many stories in history that are just so insane and you can't make this stuff mm. up. And these are the sort of stories that I just want to see more of. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? It's just absolutely insane. And this is also to me why I really loved looking this up and see, I saw the review first mm. from History Buffs because I wouldn't have believed it. No, and you know what? Like, yes, creative license is used. It's a movie, right? Mm, yeah. And sometimes it is extraordinarily necessary to get the essence of the mm. era of the characters. Yeah. However, you're right, Philip. There's quite a few moments in this film where you just go, oh, yeah, cool. You know, play it up even more, rah, rah. No. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> no, it. That's yeah. It. Absurd. So, in terms of accuracy, the only real inaccuracies in this come down to timeline. Yeah. They've taken stuff that happened, obviously, over a few years and a few months mm. and crammed it all into a couple of days, yeah. sort of thing, a few days. But there's no problem with that because it doesn't no. it doesn't destroy the story. The, if you t- walked away and took it literally, the only inaccuracy you'd be walking away with is thinking that that, that was a hell of a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And also, you know, the pianist's note sort yeah. of linked to his death yeah, somehow. That's it, that's you know, it. We, we know that the note occurred and it was a bit more softer but still scathing yeah you know th- this we is the knew that of- it happened a lot late earlier on yeah. and- but you know what phil like how i was talking about before where a film makes you do homework that's the type of pleasurable homework yeah that's because it. i go oh was there really a note yeah okay no there wasn't but hang on she did actually send him a note what yeah. did it say why was she allowed yeah, to live like it. it encourages you to go Further. That's it. And, and even if you didn't, this is this is why how I think good historical films need to go mm. is that any inaccuracies that are in there, yeah, they need not to be big enough to make you believe a false narrative. No, and this doesn't. Um, Nothing here takes away from the story. That's it. Yeah, barrier. They uh, show barrier at this point to still be running the gulags and yeah. making the lists and all that. Historically, by this point, he hadn't. He wasn't in that job. But that doesn't matter because he was. And the reason it does this cramming of and moving of timelines is simply to show you the type of man he was. Oh, yeah. You walk away and you might go, oh, he was still doing that. No, that's wrong. But 
you walk away and go, oh, he was a horrible man. Well, yes, he was. And that's the purpose that's of showing purpose. all of these different exactly. things. Exactly. Yeah. So there's no issue for me in that creative license where if you're going with other movies like the one I always bring up, Take a Shot Braveheart, yeah. you're, you're completely changing the narrative. That is where the saying, why let the truth get in the way of a good story, really digs home. Yeah. There is no truth to that story, uh, but people walk away going, oh, that was what happened. That is exactly how it w- went down. Mm. This movie, Death of Stalin, shows me and should show everyone how to do a historical movie and that you can do it in a comedy way. Yeah. The thing that I think this film does best of all is that it captures the climate of the time, the political and social climate. Yes. Because with Stalin, we've got the cult of celebrity in terms of a political figure. It starts here, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of in terms of Russia, at yes. least. I mean, yes, we had it with Lenin in yeah. terms of just worshipping, but really the cult of personality, yeah. the cult of celebrity starts with Stalin. It's an incredible thing. No wonder there are thousands upon thousands of mourners. Yeah. And these are legitimate people. No one's forcing them to come in terms of, well, because we need to broadcast. What yeah, yeah, yeah. No, these are legitimate feelings. So it's interesting, and this is because you and I have studied history, yep. we know what happens afterwards where something called de-Stalinization kicks yes. in, where they now start to dismantle that celebrity by saying, mm. he wasn't great, he was horrible. Mm. Us, the new leadership team, we're, we're great. great. <laughs> we're going to fix these. We get hints of this yeah. by releasing people from prison, mm-hmm. You know, doing, doing all of these little good gesture things really correcting wrongs that, let's face it, they probably didn't even object to to begin with, yeah. but they're thinking in a progressive manner mm-hmm. to best serve them mm-hmm. as well. So this is really interesting because now even in Russia today, I believe that there are only two images that are in a public space mm. that will even tell you Stalin ever existed. Yeah. When you compare that to, say, Lenin, yes, who is still yes. revered. Yeah, so it's interesting, and this is sort of hinted at with these political movements and decision-making and everyone's racing Mm -hmm. for the top. It's a beautifully played scramble, I feel. So, yeah, there's all of these wonderful touches in the film. You're right, Phil. It's definitely, definitely been done well in this, most certainly. Yeah. So, Wayne. Yes. Final thoughts and score of five. Well, overall... This is a really strong film. I think it's quite engaging. And it could be the history buff in me that's Mm -hmm. really attracted to this movie, especially because this is an era in European history that really fascinates me. I'll never claim, Philip, to be as much of a history buff (laughs) or expert as you, uh, but this one really grabbed me. Stalin is one of the most fascinating figures of any part of world history, I feel. So it was great to see this version be represented in this story being told. So yes, I do have a few issues in terms of how the accents jarred me more than what normally does. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't too sure about the representation of Stalin himself. Mm -hmm. However, Adrian McLaughlin, who does play Stalin, does quite a good job, I feel. Mm -hmm. In terms of the context of the film, the the style, um, the mood that Mm. it sets, he's doing well. I think Mm. he plays a good job. Steve Buscemi is always outstanding 
I don't think anyone could ever fault <laughs> Buscemi yeah. in anything he does. He's gorgeous here as, as Khrushchev, and Khrushchev yeah. is, you know, the next leader. There are also fine tones by Rupert Friend, who played Stalin Jr. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. he was so he was out of control. So yeah. How gorgeous was he? Yeah. He was just absolutely out of control. Andrea Riseborough as his sister. Yep. Perfect performance. I love how at the beginning of it all, you know, the, the yes men, the people in the, in yeah. the government and the council are a little bit scared of her, I yeah. suppose, and then start to take control and she's resigning to her fate. Yeah. I love her loyalty to her brother yep. as well because he is an absolute loose cannon. Yep. But in terms of performances in this film, it's difficult for me to go past Simon Russell Bale as Beria. Mm. He captures the wickedness of this man mm. so brilliantly. Oh, yeah. Like how we were talking before, you know, the timelines are a bit skewed, but we needed the information about him to truly appreciate how important his downfall, I suppose, mm. is. We don't feel sorry for him at, at all. all based on the information we're given about him. In the little nuances that Beale does, just brilliant. Like, this man is so incredible at portraying an evil guy who is, I don't want to say relatable, but I was never distant from him. I was so intrigued yeah. by this character. Yeah. And this portrayal is just absolutely outstanding. For me, he is the acting highlight in this film. He definitely doesn't alienate the character. It's not no. like it's not like someone playing Hitler and everyone going, Yep, that's that's the caricature of Hitler. Yeah. It is someone who it's almost the epitome of anyone can be evil. Yes. Sort of thing, you know. I agree. One of the th- key things that I always say when I myself am writing villains Mm. are that villains don't know they're villains. Yes. They are the good guys. And Bale plays Beria like he is the good guy. Yeah. Everything is justified. Even if it's for his own self gain. Yeah, that's it. Everything is justified. He is the one who should be leading the Soviet Union Mm. because he will do it best. Yeah. It really is actually interesting on that point, though, because this also shows that idea that, yes, while anyone can be evil, Mm. anyone can be a monster, as it were, they still are self-aware enough to know that releasing people and stopping the purges and stuff would be a good thing. Yeah. Even though it self-serves. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. But it's almost as if they feel it's a good thing simply so they can get the public back on yes. on par and be seen as the good guys. Yeah, to serve their own political To serve their own sort of thing. But before that, it didn't really matter because, hey, this is all on Stalin. The Stalin's yeah, saying it. Absolutely. I'm just following orders. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, Beria himself didn't particularly like Stalin. Yeah. So that says a lot mm. based on how he's waiting in the wings, really. So he's got ambitions long before Stalin mm. dies, really. That's it. And this is his opportunity mm. to, to seize control. And I cannot praise Simon Russell Bale enough. He captures all of these nuances and these essences to Beria so perfectly. Mm. Now, this can't be done if the script wasn't watertight. Yes. It is so well written. It is, yes, dialogue driven, but if you're interested in this time, (laughs) in this part of the world, in this era, in these politics, you are hooked all the way through. The film is aesthetically beautiful. Mm. I think Russia is one of the most gorgeous places on the planet. Um, mm. It is unfortunate we don't get 
as much access and liberty to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But time will tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, because the people, the architecture are just are just beautiful. It's yeah. such a gorgeous and rich culture mm. with a very interesting history. Oh, yeah. All of these different things are captured in this movie. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I want to go back and actually watch it again because I think I'm going to pick up on nuances that yep. I may have even missed this time around. Yep. But it is a very high four out of five for me. Philip, my history buff, <laughs> your final thoughts. Well, as I've sort of said, this is how you should do a historical movie. This mm. this sits up there with Master and Commander for me in terms of that sort of real, this is how you do it. Mm. And especially if you want to make it a comedy for me, it's not about making the small details, like whether they're talking Russian or mm. whether they're talking British. It's about following the storyline and being true to the story. Personally, I really enjoyed Jason Isaacs as Georgie Zukov. Mm. Um, he is the leader of the Red Army. Yeah. And just how he has that superpower, you know, I don't get... I, I uh, uh, booted Hitler. I can... <laughs> A couple of politicians aren't going to be... Uh, to me, that was really powerful as well. I loved Michael Palin. I'd be an idiot not to mention <laughs> and my Python Palin as Molotov. Yeah. So as a little tiny bit of uh, historical stuff, this is the same Molotov that the Molotov cocktail was named after. And the Molotov cocktail was actually named that as an insult originally <laughs> um, because essentially Molotov cocktail is just a lot of alcohol with a rag. That's right. It was actually invented by the Finns, the Finnish, during the Finnish-Soviet War because they would use it to take out the inadequate tanks um, <laughs> during the Winter War. That all aside, absolutely love his demeanour, how he's this mm. weak sort of character who... Uh, he's this sort of character that he wants to toe the party line even after the party line's been abolished. Yeah. Uh, he will still work out how to do what he wants politically... Just so long as he can word it in a way <laughs> that still makes the pol- policy line um, happen. Yeah. It's a bit sad how they played up his ideas of his against his wife and all yes, that. that he sort of takes party and yeah. politics above the love um, of his wife. But again, I can see why they did that to really show how much zeal he had. Mm. I absolutely love uh, Steve Buscemi's um, role as well. Again, I just think it was very powerfully played. All in all, I absolutely love this film and highly recommend it for any history buffs out there. Four out of five as well. Yay. Wayne. Yes, Villa. What have you got in store for us next time? Well, next time I thought I'd revisit a movie that I actually haven't seen for quite a number of years. I remember enjoying it when I had first seen it and reading reviews at the time. A lot of the reviews <laughs> are quite critical of it. <laughs> so I'm going to be like, okay, well, maybe we should revisit this and actually see if it is any good and introduce it to you at the same time, okay. Philip. So next time we're going to watch an Australian movie called Bootmen. Ooh, sounds interesting. Yes. <laughs> it's about dancers, not boot manufacturing. Ah. So it is more interesting than what it says. <laughs> Beautiful. I very much look forward to that. Great. Until then, mm-hmm. I've been Wayne Stellini. And I've been Philip Hunting. And, and you've, you've just, just experienced, experienced Fredwatch. Fredwatch. Cue music. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, 
please stop that, Philip. <laughs> Cut it out, Philip. <laughs> and save. Blooper reel. Yeah, because, and I, again, useless names, I forget the name of the director who was m- murdered. Who, we're going to have to stop. No, that's okay. Who, who was it? Wasn't a director murdered as well? No, it? his wife was. His wife? He was oh. overseas in Europe, yeah. as she didn't travel. Who? The director's name is Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski, thank you. Okay. Go back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, I know Kirsten was telling me that... Um, uh, Tarantino and Romeo Polanski. Romeo Polanski? What did you say? Roman. Roman. Polanski. The thing is, the name's not even um, <laughs> foreign to me. It, it's just... I'm not good with names. Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski. The Death of Stalin. Oh, I've forgotten his name again. I've got it at the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yanucci. Yanucci, 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 Yanucci. Armando Yanucci. The Death of Stalin, directed by Armando Yanucci. Yanucci, 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 Yanucci. The Death of Stalin, directed by Armando Yanucci, is a... One more time. I do wonder, though, that if pre-knowledge is a record... Let me start that again. Mm-hmm. Sorry, no, I can't because I can't talk. Mm-hmm. I do wonder though if knowledge is. Oh, fuck. I'm only going off what uh, interviews. Yeah. Um, from Amado. Um, we, we've spoken about this before, so Philip, we did an Anzac Day special. Yep. For example, when we. All quiet on the western front is the movie I want. <laughs> I was just like, what movie was it, damn it? <laughs> you see, for me, Hunt for Red October mm. is the perfect example of what you're talking about. Yeah. Because everyone else in that movie was trying to do a Russian accent. Mm. And then... Um... Sean Connery. Thank you. You're welcome. Sean, Sean Connery? Yeah. Sean Connery, yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not Gene Hackman. No, no, no. no it is Sean Connery, it's... yeah. Gene Hackman's in the other one. Yeah. Yeah. Sean Connery. Now, see, Hunt Factor read it. What I'd like to talk about as well as... She did actually send him a note. What yeah. did it say? Why was she allowed yeah, to live? Like, it, it just... It, in, I'm mm. so excited. Mm. But... In terms of the performances of this film, Simon Russell Beale as Beria was abs. That's not right. Yes, yeah, Beria. Are you sure? Yeah, because it sounds like Barrier. Okay, cool. 